Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How's it going, Derek? It's, it's going fantastic. How do you like the weather? It is so warm out. Isn't it? It is so pleasant. Oh, what a difference from last week. It was yeah, like, like minus 60 last week and like... Yeah, mo- minus a million. <laughs> snow up to our armpits. Yeah. Yeah, dog and couldn't get out. now it's all gone. <laughs> and yeah, and then all of a sudden it goes up to what, plus 14 or plus nine yeah. or something like that, Celsius. And Lost all the snow. Snow's all gone. It's turning into spring. So is anything, uh, are you getting any uh, prize packages being exposed in the snow in your backyard? <laughs> oh, my backyard is filled with landmines galore. There's one there and there's one there and there's one there. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So your dog doesn't pick up after himself? No, but, but. <laughs> When we had the snow, um, I had to go, he's, my dog is such a wuss. He doesn't like snow. He doesn't like precipitation. Yeah. I think I've mentioned that. He does not like precipitation, be it rain, snow. He's a wuss. So I have to clear the deck down. Then I got to go make a path out to the yard and then make like a giant circle. It's like a cul-de-sac. Yeah. Right. So he can walk down. He walks out, finds a spot and he does his business. (laughs) <laughs> which is fine because it's still on, there's still snow. Like you don't do it right down to the grass, right? Yeah. So there's still snow, but it's, you know, like an inch of snow as opposed to a foot and a half. Yeah. You know, like rubbing his belly sort of thing. And uh, so he does his business out there and then you can go out there. Oh, well, I'm shuffling a bit. I find them all. I put them in a nice little pile oh, off okay. to the side so that when I come out with a, a proper bag, I can scoop it yeah. up and throw it in the garbage, right? Well, then all of a sudden, everything melted, and you got this massive poo statue in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, great. Molded into a snowman. Made, made a little snowman. <laughs> Who wants to build a snowman? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Pedaling Adventures Radio version of Frozen. <laughs> yeah. So... <clears throat> we'll need more than just a little spade to pick that one up. <laughs> and just chuck it over in the neighbor's yard. <laughs> right over the fence. <laughs> get a little trebuchet happening. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Let's <laughs> see if we get it on his roof. Uh, what? Oh, Super Bowl. Yes. Super Bowl. Everybody hates me. <laughs> oh, do they? Go Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> were you harassing people at work, were you? I don't. I wrote for the guy everybody hates. I don't watch the NFL. Oh yeah. I've I, if I watch any football, it's it's CFL. Go Green, Saskatchewan, baby. Uh, <laughs> just because I used to live out there. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah, that's where we took up football out there. Uh, yeah, I'm not a. I'll watch the Super Bowl every couple of years, or if there's a big party, say hey, come check out the Super Bowl, whatever. Um, you know what? He's a good player. Brady's a good player, and I think that's why everybody hates. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, haters gonna hate, buddy. Yeah. So, no, you know what? I look at it, I said, you know what? I think they're going to win. Just, you know, the, the, but I, I got to think that the, uh, the, the, the Rams quarterback there, I think he's, he's up and coming. He'll, he'll walk away with a, oh, you think? a Super Bowl at yeah. some point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, I think he'll get a couple of them. Uh, but yeah, so I was just like, yeah, yeah, uh, they're going to win it. They're going to win. And everybody's, you know, at work, yeah, they are not like, no, he's, <laughs> they've won enough. Blah, blah. They're going to win it. Yeah. They won it. <laughs> Walking to work. Hey, guys. <laughs> It wasn't the most exciting of games. No, that's what everybody's saying. Boring. Yeah. 
Yeah, no one, no one's. Uh, it too just means that, that both teams' defenses were on on their game, right? Yeah, you go with that. Um, <laughs> what was it? Brady's first first throw of the game was picked off. <laughs> Oops, my bad. Yeah, yeah. So everybody's. I mean, that's. But you know what? Like, it, it's become such a big get together social event. You know, I think it's just grown beyond just a regular. You know, it's just a game. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that's part of the fun as well. Just getting in there with a great big group of people. You're filling your face with booze and beer, uh, food and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. The chicken wings and it's whatnot. a gathering of friends. And everybody's, you know, joking with each other about your team sucks. Yeah, your team sucks. <laughs> no, your team sucks. Yeah, eat this yeah. chicken wing. And yeah, you know what? It's great to do that sort of thing. So, but yeah, I, I go every every couple of years. We do the old. Super Bowl thing and whatnot, but I was too busy this year and just did some other things and, uh, yeah, got some work done actually. Oh yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. Doing some cleanup and getting ready because you know, we got a couple things coming up here and, uh, did, uh, are you going to see my, my basement here? I got my winter tent I sitting saw on the that. floor. Just make sure. I got a couple, somewhere along the line, I rested it against something. I'm thinking maybe it was part of my stove or something. Oh, those rust marks? There's a rust mark on it. So I got to clean that off. There's a couple of uh, um, ash marks on it for when you take it apart and the pipes, the, the stove pipes knock out a bit, get on your hands, then you grab the, the white tent. See, there is a, a benefit to the the dark green army bell tents. You can get them you dirty, don't you don't know. <laughs> you don't see the dirt. But this is like a fresh pair of underwear. You get some dirt on those and everybody's seeing them. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I got that sitting here. I got to clean that up and fold it up and try to, we got a bag with it, right? And uh, it's a nice Esker tent. It's just a 10 by 10 classic four, four side center pole, that sort of thing. And, um, it, it, it's a nice little tent and it comes with a bag and you fold it up and puts in the bag. It's perfect, right? I've not been able to get it back in that bag since I bought it. <laughs> so I brought it in here to see if I can. But it's, it, that's typical of a lot of the stuff, like uh, whether it be a sleeping bag or, or who knows what, it, nothing ever fits back in the original bag no. that it really came to. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> that's what, um, my sleeping bags, I just went out and bought big stuff sacks. Yeah. Cause I'm not getting them back in where, you Oh, know. exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I just grab a stuff sack, put it in there and just <laughs> tighten it all down yeah. and it actually goes smaller than the original bag with it so yeah but yeah getting all that sort of stuff together and getting ready for the quiet water symposium which we're going to down in lansing michigan uh going getting stuff ready for the um paddling film festival yeah which uh is coming up soon in march 19th tuesday march 19th drones and flats gonna check that out and get some stuff done for that and uh, we're just waiting apparently our big package has been sent out with all the films so that we can watch them all and decide which ones we're going to show mm-hmm. well as we record the uh the premiere event uh, yeah yeah is that at the at uh, at uh what's it called the big theater downtown yes yeah i can't remember the dude that hosts it Paddling. Oh, the um, uh, Complete Paddler. Complete Paddler, yeah. yeah. Kelly from Complete yeah. Paddler Kelly's, hosts it every uh, year. He does the premiere. The and premiere event. Yeah. Sorry, I just took a minute to realize who, who, who's, who's he's talking about. What has he talked oh, about? Yeah, yeah. I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't get it out. <laughs> what am I trying to say? Everybody, you know what we're talking about. Just, you know, deal with it. <laughs> Words are having issues this evening. Yeah. Uh, issues started uh, earlier this evening. De- Derek brought beer again and we're having beer issues. Yes. <laughs> um, this is becoming a current yeah. topic. 
Derek's beer issues tonight. He bought beer, which is some yes. decent beers. I he, always buy beer. He puts them in the back of his car and oh, yes. travels on over. And then he hears a bowling ball it's game like, going in the back of his it's car. Like a, like a bowling alley in the back of my vehicle. Every time I took a turn, I cans could hear all the beers. cans flying everywhere. Yeah. And I neglected to tell Sean that uh, they had been bundling around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here, oh, well, let's have these beers. Here you go. And I go to open it. <laughs> <laughs> but did I, being the skilled person that I am. You didn't spill a drop. I did not spill nope. a drop. <laughs> awesome. You just stuck the whole can in your mouth and. <laughs> ate it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we saved all the beer. Not a, not a drop was wasted. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there's, there's beer issues all the time lately, Derek. <sighs> hey, I supply beer every night. You do? Every recording session. You do? Ah! Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, 19 yeah. times out of 20, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 20th time, we actually have good beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just razzing you. If it wasn't for you, Derek, I'd have to buy my own, buddy. So so what's happening in the world of everything? <laughs> the world of everything. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Oh, I was watching Gabriel Iglesias, Fluffy. Oh, yes. I was watching an interview he did on Australian TV. And he's talking about how laid back the Australians are. Yeah. And he goes, I saw this video of this guy, woman watching her husband pull this snake out of a tr- the Christmas tree. Oh. And she says, he looks kind of cranky. He says, only in Australia would you guys describe a snake as cranky. As cranky. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, if there's a snake in my Christmas tree and I'm living in Australia, by the time I, everybody starts pulling that snake out of the tree, I'm already at the airport, booked on the plane, telling the, the pilot, okay, we're taxiing now. <laughs> you know, Time to go. I'm not hanging around. I will not, I'll just burn the house down. I'm not living in that house anymore. There's what snakes about snakes there. on a plane? Snakes on a, uh, yeah. <laughs> Once you're there, you can't get out. Because <laughs> everything in Australia is there to kill you, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we learn, just to change this in a total different way, no going segue. from the Southern Hemisphere yeah. to the Northern Hemisphere, Magnetic North has changed. And, which and, it does. Which it does. It It's always moving. It's always migrating. Did you know there's a foundation uh, that was called the World Magnetic Model? Didn't hear about that. There is. It, since Magnetic North is a foundation of a like many of the navigation systems we use, mm-hmm. GPS, all that sort of stuff, uh, your phone. You got oh, I see. So that? yeah, the, the, yeah. Okay, yeah. So the, there's, uh, and I remember. We, I, I don't know if we talked about it or not, but they updated a lot of the models for the kilogram, the pound, and they they have these specific metal ingots with a specific, yeah. and it's kept in under glass, and it's how they compare worldwide the you know the standard kilogram and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So there is this world magnetic model, and mm-hmm. basically it just tracks. This is this is how much. This year, Magnetic North should move. And the yes. next year, and the next yeah. year, and the next year. Well, something's happened. They're having Houston, we have it. a problem. <laughs> uh, in the last hundred years or so, the direction which our compasses point, yeah. right? That's Magnetic North. Yes. Keeps moving northward due to the Earth's liquid outer core 1,800 miles beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. That's huge. One thousand. It's, it's staggering <laughs> because you don't really think about how it, big the world is, like I know depth wise. Yeah, right. 
So the, li the liquid outer core moves and does stuff, and that affects magnetic north. Mm -hmm. In recent years, the science have noticed that something is unusual up. is happening. Yes. Something's, something's not right. And the magnetic north direction has shifted into high gear across the northern hemisphere. And no one can entirely explain it. They have ideas, but they can't actually yes. explain why. It's too complicated a model. You can't really predict it. Right. So there's, you know, these change, they're so large that the scientists, they update this model every five years, this world magnetic model every five years. And they've had to work on an emergency update. <laughs> So, because it's moving so fast. Yes. And this mathematical system that lays the foundations for navigations from cell phones and ships to commercial airlines. So, you got to imagine. I mean, if everybody's basing it on this magnetic north. Yes. And all of a sudden it shifts. Well, that throws everything right off. Right? Yeah, exactly. And anybody who is used to using map and compass and stuff like that, uh, like... Well, I know I, I, when I, every time I buy a compass and yearly I update the compass, there's a setting, the magnetic declination, right? Yep. So normally you set it to a certain amount and you're good for a couple of years, but now it's the, the, the pole, the magnetic pole is, is accelerating towards Russia. Yeah. So they're supposed to last five years, but they have to change the model. Yep. And now they're three just, years. It's just going nuts. So they've done it. They've updated and all that sort of stuff. You release these updates and Magnetic North is uh, now precisely located for people around the world. It's that way. <laughs> it's over there somewhere. But the question remains, and the big one is, why is Magnetic North changing so fast? Mm -hmm. Which and really, no like they say, they can't. So did a little bit of research here. There are three North Poles on our planet. There's the true north. That's the one, you know, if you put a spike from the North Pole to the South Pole, true north is where the spike enter, exits the exactly. North Pole. Yeah. The, ax the, the, the axis the axis that the world the spins. Geomagnetic north. Earth's magnetic bubble or magnetosphere isn't perfectly aligned with this axis, the true north axis. Yeah. So Earth's core creates a magnetic field that is slightly tilted from the planet's rotational axis. The northern end of this planet-sized bar magnet is what's known as geomagnetic north. A point sitting off the northwest coast of Greenland that's changed position little over the last century. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's just over Greenland. Magnetic north, it's just the biggie, that's the one we, we care about, is where your compass points and is defined as the point at which magnetic field lines point vertically down. Unlike geomagnetic north, this position is more susceptible to surges and flows of the liquid iron in the core of the planet. These currents pull on the magnetic field, sending magnetic north moving. Okay. Clear as mud, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, again, when you got your, your compass, that way's north, but magnetic north is where your, your thing goes. So you look at your map, it tells you what declination yep. to use. You adjust it so that... It, you know, you got that little spin dial on your compass, so it's pointing properly and boom, boom, off you go. What is the world magnetic model? See, we're getting all science-y tonight. I right? know, I know. It's yeah. out of control here. Let me know when your brain hurts. <laughs> James Clark Ross first located magnetic north in 1831 in Nunavut, which is what is now Nunavut. Is now, yes. Since then, the pole has largely moved north hundreds of miles over the last several decades. Curiously... Its polar opposite magnetic south 
has moved little. Exactly. It's relatively stable. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 not moving hardly at all. To keep up with all the changes, the US National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration and the British Geological Survey <laughs> developed what eventually would became known as the World Magnetic Model. It's updated every five years with the last update in 2015. Between each update, scientists check the model's accuracy against data from ground magnetic observatories and the European Space Agency's SWARM mission, a trio of magnetic magnetic field-mapped satellites that zip around the Earth 15 or 16 times each day. Until now, this seems sufficient to keep up with Magnetic North's movement towards Siberia. Okay, so right now, slowly going towards Siberia. In the mid-1900s, so like 1950, 1960, right? Yep. The magnetic north pole moved at less than 100 feet each day, adding up to less than seven miles of difference each year. So every year it moved seven miles, which in the grand scheme of the earth... It's nothing. ...really isn't, you know, too big. In the 90s, this started to change. Magnetic north was traveling at about 34 miles each year. That's a huge difference. It is. It's from ex- from seven to thirty-four. Yeah. That's big. By early 2018, scientists realized that the model would soon exceed the acceptable limits, and they had to do something before 2020, which is what they've done. So they've used three years worth of data. They've found their what they had to do, and they've changed their model. Uh, the model has found its way into many of our modern mapping systems, including Google and Apple, but the differences. Like th- this difference for the majority of people, it doesn't. It, it doesn't affect. It doesn't them. affect us day to day. Who it affects is people above the latitudes of fifty-five degrees. So you know those people cruising around <laughs> the high Arctic, like Jim Baird and all those fellas. You know those are the people that's really going to affect because that's it, it's so huge up there. Exactly. So, um, what caused all this weirdness? Well, I think it's just a natural change. Well, that's what they don't know. It's happening. They, they yeah, assume it, it. It is yes. right. So it, it's more about just mapping, and but what they what they figure is like or what they're saying is this presents one of the few windows scientists have to processes that happen thousands of miles below the surface. Yeah. Right. This is this gives them something new to look at and all that. So there's one scientist, and he says. It's like what he calls a magnetic field tug of war. And he says, this may offer up your explanation on on what's going on. The North Magnetic Pole seems to be controlled by two patches of magnetic field, one under northern Canada and one under Siberia. Historically, the one under northern Canada seems to have been stronger, keeping the magnetic pole in its clutches, but recently that seems to have changed. With the Siberia patch seeming to be stronger now, it's pulling the magnetic field all the way across to its side of the geographic pole. Which is, hence why it's moving so fast. Precisely, yes. Right? Yeah. So they say, what's what's next? What's going to happen next with the, with the magnetic north? They say it's tough to predict what will happen uh, to the magnetic North Pole or whether it's even going to maintain its speed as it moves towards Siberia. I mean, it could go faster. It could automatically stop and then and reverse. recover. And exactly. Yeah. There's no predicting it. The only thing that seems certain about magnetic North is it 
unpredictability. Rocks hold geologic maps of even weirder movements of the magnetic pole, suggesting that is at least 20 million in the last 20 million years, magnetic north and south have flipped places multiple times. This seems to happen roughly every 200,000 to 300,000 years. So I guess we're stuck there right now. Well, Somewhere I around think the 300,000 years. They mark. said it's been last time it, there was an event like that it was like 520,000 years ago. So we're due. Well, we're due, but they said there's no predicting it. It's like the, there's and uh, they they found evidence. The evidence isn't rock. So when you have uh, when you have uh, molten lava, molten rock, when it solidifies, it uh, takes on the characteristics of the current poles uh, existence, you know, the, depending on if the north and south poles have flipped or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so in the past, when they've had polar flips, they, they can see it in the rocks. They they uh, carbonate the rock and determine when it became solid rock. And then they can, in ballparking, you know, within a million years or so, they can determine when that rock became solid and they know what the, the, the uh, magnetic field's characteristics were at that time. And uh, I was reading the, this morning, it was, uh, was it uh, 72, the last polar shift, they had a partial polar shift about 72 million years ago. And then there was like, uh, they, I think they said like 400 million years ago, it happened like 17 times in like uh, something like a thousand years or so there, it, it's it's unpredictable, but it comes and goes, and it's there's no predicting. There's no you can't just say it's going to happen. It's like people on the west coast. They already go, oh, we're due for the big earthquake. It's going to happen anytime. Well, yeah, they've been overdue for an earthquake on the west coast, a big one, uh, for over 500 years. They've been due for an earthquake. Yeah, isn't right? California going to fall off the map in the <laughs> yeah. ocean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to think though, like if all of a sudden the north, true north, like yeah. the magnetic north, becomes like flips. Yeah. I mean, if you take a mag, a bar magnet, and just flip it upside yeah. down, so north is pointing south, and south is pointing north. Yeah, and what would that do to the? I gotta think with, with all the technology, I think that would have some sort of effect. It would. On it would have it. It would have an effect. And I think the uh, from what I was reading, the the major effect. They say it's not going to do a perfect flip. It will. What you would end up doing is like having, and I was looking at some of the modeling diagrams and they're showing like, you know, three or four North Poles spread out and three or four South Poles all spread out. And uh, if it does settle in, it may, the, the poles may flip and it may stay that way for like, you know, 200 million years and, and it's a new, the new paradigm, right? But uh, they said it, it could take, you know, a couple thousand years for it to settle out or to take a couple hundred years to settle out into the new North and South Poles, right? Mm-hmm. But they, the, 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 our, the way the Earth rotates, it does sort of dictate where the North and South Poles will end up just because of that massive liquid molten core that's rotating right. inside the Earth. But it's uh, it's interesting to it's interesting to read about it. I, I, they they say with, they don't expect it to happen in anybody's current lifetime, but it will happen again. It's happened many times in the past, as is evidenced in in the uh, the the magnetic effects on rock as it solidifies for molten rock. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to think. What does this mean for us? What for does it paddling? mean for us for paddling? So it's going to be compass issues, and right? Now, the little thingy here, if you don't account for magnetic north when taking your bearings with a compass, yeah. 
declination or degrees off course. So if you're one degree off course, yeah. after walking 10 miles, you'll be 920 feet or 280 meters off course. You're, if you're five degrees off course, you'll be 4,600 feet or 1,402 meters off course yeah. by the time you walk 10 miles. If you're 10 degrees off, then you'll be 9,170 feet or 2,795 meters off course after walking 10 miles. Mm-hmm. Now, 10 miles isn't all that far. No. Now, you picture these guys, uh, you see them doing their kayaking trips in the ocean. And, you know, and, I, I was and reading one that's thing. that's where it's going to affect them is yeah. open ocean with no landmarks. Well, and that's it. You said, you know, you got your map saying there's one little island. We've got to hit that island and then turn south or something like that. Well, if you, if you're off five degrees. Yes. And that island is, you know, a hundred kilometers away. <laughs> Oops. That's 10 times. Yeah. You know, you're, you're like 28 kilometers off course. Exactly. By the time you reach where that island's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That island is now 28 kilometers north or south or whatever of you. Yeah. That's huge. And you're in this big ocean and you're looking for it. You're dead. <laughs> right. Unless you- You're lucky. adrift. Yeah. You're, you're adrift, man. Like for good. Yeah. So it's, it's going to have effects. And it, you know, if there's, if there's random fluctuations in the, in the magnetic north and stuff like that, it's really going to throw off compasses and stuff like, and it, that's where electronic devices- uh, will come in handy, except yeah. for the fact that when the pole shifts, the our heliosphere, the our our magnetic lines of flux around the Earth, they protect us from like coronal mass ejections and stuff like that, yeah. all that stuff that affects electronic equipment. So, you know, it, there's this there's historical evidence of uh, of these these you know these sunspots coronal mass ejections and stuff like that where it uh, it affects electronic devices it knocks up power grids and stuff like that so then you even your gps's may become useless mm-hmm. so and also with the, with the shift you're going to see uh you're going to see ozone holes the holes in the yeah. ozone layer just like over the arctic well that was because of cfcs and aerosols and stuff but with the uh, the shift of the poles it, you're going to have open areas with the uh with the ozone layer and you're going to have the the flux changes on the the magnetic poles you're going to lose some radiation protection we still have a lot of atmosphere above us so that's still going to protect us from a lot of radiation but there's going to (laughs) be it's just think about that it's like uh the massive it's like a such a huge paradigm shift right well if all the things that they talk about you know the the stuff we're putting in the air the pollution yeah. The the climate change, blah, 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 all this stuff. And this is based on something that's happening 2,000 miles <laughs> exactly. <You laughs> below our no feet that we have absolutely it. no yeah. control over. Exactly. And I got to think anything that we're doing up here is not affecting that. No, absolutely not. So, no. eh, yeah. Is, so, one more thing on this topic. <laughs> yes. Magnetoreception. Uh-oh. Animals using the Earth's magnetic oh, field for navigation, like I bats, homing pigeons, and subterranean rodents. Yeah, like Canada geese uh, migrating south. The uh, uh, monarch butterflies migrating yeah, between Mexico. Canada and Ooh, Mexico. By the way, I think I read it. Oh, monarch butterflies, because I know about 10 years ago they crashed. 
big yes. time. There was a big frost in Mexico that killed a lot of them. Because for those that don't know, the monarch butterflies leave North America and head down uh, a mass migration and spend winters in Mexico. Yep. Like snowbirds. I know. <laughs> it's weird. Eh? It's a butterfly. Yeah, and then they come back. Yeah. Uh, there's There was a big frost there a while back that killed a whole bunch of them. And Well, apparently I just read, I'm sure it was 144%. Um, the monarch butterfly population has increased 144%. Wow. Which is It's rebounded. Awesome. Yeah, 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 it's totally rebounded, which is cool. Anyway, so does a shift in the magnetic north mean for these animals? Like, what does it mean for them? They're basically saying, well, who knows? Because they're yeah. not Because people don't sure. really understand the mechanism that enables, like, birds and rodents and stuff like that yeah. to Yeah, it's just like to dolphins and that with their sonar and all that, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like, it's still unknown how they use the line, the magnetic flux and the lines of flux in the earth, right? Right. Now, there's a couple studies done, just to, to finish this off. There's two studies done, uh, which I'm just like, huh? <laughs> when fox, you've seen, you've seen the, the National Geographic picture, the, the fox, he's jumping straight up and then dives into the snow because he knows there's something under there. He can hear yeah. it. <clears throat> when the fox perform their high jumps onto small prey like mice and voles, they tend to jump in a northeastern compass direction. Really? Really? Who knew? So if, if it's always the same, there's got to be something there that's telling them that they yeah. can, right? Another study found that when domestic dogs are off leash, so you take them to the, the leash-free area, yeah. whatever, they're running around, and the Earth's magnetic field is calm... So there's nothing going on. They're just magnetic fields, just ooh, humming along nicely. <laughs> Everything's calm. The dogs prefer to urinate and defecate with their bodies aligned on a north-south <laughs> axis. Who did this study? I don't know, but... Uh. Can you imagine? And you know what? Why now, are you hey, dude, why are you staring at my dog while he's going to the bathroom? Trust me, it's a study. Hang on, I need to get my GPS. Uh, yep, the earth is calm. Your dog's in a north-south axis. And, yep, and he's peeing. I wonder if that's why the dog does circles in his bed. He's he's calibrating his he's internal calibrating compass. He's calibrating his internal compass to sleep in the right direction. And then when he goes outside and he's sniffing all over the place, it's like, come on, just pee. Well, he can't. He's He's calibrating. He, he's calibrating. <laughs> so when you take your dog out tomorrow morning for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> or this evening after after whatever time you're listening to this. Yeah. When you're taking your dog out for a walk, let him be. Because you know what? If the earth's not calm, he's agitating. He's calibrating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if the earth is calm, then yeah. Just check it out. Check See out he's, north, south. <laughs> you will know if your dog's peeing at a north, south access. Everything's right with the world. We just got inside a whole bunch of people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's, right, right. everybody's going to be thinking. Everybody's going to be out there <laughs> looking at their dogs with a compass. Hey, we know what show you listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Hi, this is Dark Sparst. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. 
This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So you brought a article to my attention the other day mm-hmm. about caribou, the last of the caribou. Yes. It's one of those, uh, it's not one of those, uh, it's like, wow, the world is really changing. Because we, uh, we talked about the grizzly bear. We talked about the grizzly bear. We yeah. talked about, I don't know if, did we talk about the, they, they have a number, an average global number. Uh, animal populations are down 60% overall worldwide, North America. And so this is like in some areas, it's down by 80, 90%. Some areas is down by 40, but average worldwide animal populations are down by 60%. Wow. And this is because of everything. Humans. Yeah. The yeah. peeps. Yeah. Not my peeps. <laughs> well, no, my, some of my peeps are, are meditarians. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's, it's just one of those things. So, uh, when, uh, when I saw this, it's just one, another thing is I, I, I don't harp on stuff like this. I, you know, it's, you do your own little thing. I'm not going to preach. Right. But yeah. it's just, it's just when you read an article like this, it's like, oh, wow. Another thing. I ate rice crackers this week. Why? Because. <laughs> Trying to eat a bit healthier. So when you say, you know, you're not going to preach, <laughs> eat rice crackers. No, don't. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. Did, uh, did you, do you put avocado in your rice crackers? No, I can't stand avocado. What? No. Avocado's awesome. Well, after Fred died. Oh. Fred the avocado. Fred. I forgot squirrels. about Fred. Squirrels are crap. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, all over the world, animals are are in, in decline. In decline, yes. Yeah, especially, yeah. especially. You, I mean, like you say, not wanting to preach, but you see the trophy hunters. Yes, and so now, I wonder if that's that. Just sort of go, sort of off topic. Sidestep for a sec. Yeah, I wonder if that is because of our point of view. As in, we don't have giraffes and we don't have elephants and we don't have rhinoceros and we so don't have cheetahs. and when somebody shoots a giraffe and it's not because yeah. they need it for meat. They're not feeding their family. They're trying yeah. to get a photo of them. Like I saw, I saw a post this week. Um, somebody shot, I want to say it was a, a leopard or a cheetah. It was one of, it was one of the two. Yeah. And there was something about it. I can't remember exactly what it was about this specific one. Um, it was a honeymoon. There's a man and wife. Is there was a man and wife standing there with it on a, a, a log. Yeah. They it was, shot it. It was their honeymoon hunt or but something. are the cheetahs as uh, prevalent over there as the bears are here? So basically, are they over there shooting like, like somebody here would, I, yeah. would go hunt a bear? I don't know. You know that? Yeah. Because so, we just, oh, here's the cheetah, the wonderful cheetah. It's hard to see the cheetah. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard to see a bear. Yeah. So I, I wonder if it's our point of view mm. on that sort of thing. Exactly. Like, is somebody posing because they, hey, look at the yeah. puppy I just. I, I have no, and I'll, I'll say this, and I've said it to my friends that are hunters and all that. I have no problems you going out and hunting for food. 
Yeah. But going out and shooting a giraffe because you want to put its head on your wall or something like that. It's, it seems like illogical. It just, I don't know. I don't, just, I don't see the point in it. Yeah. Yeah. I really, if, if you're going to eat that animal, you know, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as a giraffe because that's a lot of meat for your freezer. If you're, if you go out and shoot a deer. Yeah. You know, you go out with a couple of buddies and you get one tag and you're going to, you know, whatever. Uh, you split it all up. You get a leg, you get a leg, you get a leg, you yeah. get a leg. You can have the head, you can have the arse, you know, <laughs> whatever. I want the neck. <laughs> you know, uh, that's one thing. If you're hunting it for food, to me, that's that's one thing. If you're going out there just to make a rug. Yeah. I, I, it's such a waste of I, an I animal. I really can't grasp that concept. Yeah. And I can't grasp the fact that that there's people out there that will take you to do it. I know. Yeah. I, I, I that's just lost them. I mean, uh, my opinion, yeah. my opinion yeah. only, everybody's entitled to their own, own opinion, but that's, that's always been my opinion. Like I say, I've had conversations with friends that hunt and mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, I can. And, and a lot of them are, yeah, I do not see the need for trophy hunting. I hunt cause I'm going to put that in my freezer and that's what we're eating all winter. Exactly. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, back to, to the caribou. <laughs> back to the topic at hand. So, yeah, I came across this article. It was, uh, so it, uh, the, so they, the, there's monitoring of caribou herds and it, so there's a, it, the Canada, US, everybody does that monitoring of herds. It's just monitoring the size of the herds, yeah. the populations. The, Do the census the, every the, year yeah, or the, whatever. the health of the herds and stuff like that. So it seems that the last wild caribou in the contiguous United States is now gone. It's not gone, gone, but it's gone from the US. So, right. so it was the last one of that herd, which has been in it's decline. The Selkirk for, herd, right? Selkirk herd, yeah. yes. So, and it's been de- in decline for like, uh, what is it, 50 years or something? something yeah. Anyway, so they they captured the last one. It's currently in quarantine, and what they're going to do is it, obviously it's not going to get very busy in in the forest and making new babies because it's alone. So yeah. what they're going to do is they're going to put it in quarantine, test it for its health, and then it's going to join a herd in British Columbia. Right. the The good thing about it is it is a female. Yes. So, so there's, exactly. There's you know, potential of, of increasing, increasing herd, herd sizes yeah. and stuff like that. But this herd has been in decline for quite a while. There was uh, a, a, about a decade ago, there was uh, 50 caribou in this, in the Selkirk herd. And, uh, but in recent line, recent years, the decline has, has rapidly increased. And it, it's, it, they, they say, and again, I don't want to be preachy. I'm just, I'm just going to read the facts, right? It's, so they're talking about human encroachment. So logging, hunting, recreation, uh, it's so the, it split the herd into smaller and smaller groups. So it, it fractured the herd. And so when you lose that genetic diversity, so now you have a herd of like five, you have a herd of three, you got a, you know, a herd of two here and maybe there's eight or 10 over there. It's like the, all the, all the logging and all the development is, is splitting up this herd and it makes it difficult for the herd to properly uh, maintain its size, maintain its health, maintain its, its status as, you know, with, with uh, amongst the herd itself, right? Yeah. Well, just to, to show the Selkirk herd back in the day, um, it was, it was massive and it ranged through Idaho and Washington and BC. Yeah. And that's a big area. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. By 2016, this herd was down to 12. Yes. 12 individuals. So I mean, you're talking massive herds down to 12. And then by 2018, last year, yeah. there was three left and they three were females. Many. Yeah. 
three females left of this massive herd. No males. Yep. So yeah, you're not, you know. Yeah, you're, you're. Unless there's immaculate conception with the caribou. <laughs> ain't happening. Yeah. So yeah, so they've taken the, they've, they've taken this last one, sequestered her in these, these pens and do all their checks, make sure there's and, yeah. no, no diseases, yeah. no whatever. Because you don't want to bring a foreign problem into an existing herd where they, you know, it's just like, you know, spreading yeah. disease and stuff like that. So they're going to reintroduce her into into the wild along with several members. Now they've taken several members of other small herds and they're putting them all together and they're going to reintroduce them in BC. Yes. With the Canadian herd that's up yeah. there. And right? I think they said there's what, 15 or 17 distinct herds in mm-hmm. British Columbia right now. Yeah. And these caribou, just by the, the their nature and where they live, they're, they're acclimated to like uh, mountainous, hilly, treed areas. And yeah. so they're not a plains caribou or like, you know, a plains buffalo type thing. This is this is a mountainous animal, right? So it's like right. mountain goats and whatever, right? Now, the problem they have, because there's been some... Um, People opposing some opposition to removing the last of the caribou from the States. So what's the good of... So they say, if you've got protected caribou in this there area... There is that point. Yeah. Right? So you got the protected caribou in these area. Well, then the area is protected. Yeah. So there's You can't a, go in there. You, know, you can't log. You can't Half a mine, million hectares of, of land and mountainous land, forested is all protected. slopes are protected because right. of the Selkirk herd. It's their breeding ground. It's so it's protected. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if it becomes public knowledge that, well, there's no more we there. just remove ah, the last one. Well, then there's no reason to protect it Why? now, is there? Exactly. Why are we protecting this area from logging? Why are we protected protecting it from mining? So what that does... Is okay. Well, you take away this, this this caribou. Well, now all of a sudden everybody's got their eyes on this this virgin ground. Yeah. But what they then do is, if they come in there, well, they take out maybe the owls that were there and the bears, the groundhogs, the, the bears, and, yeah, the, yeah the all this stuff that were there exactly. living. Yep. You know, and thriving. Yeah. Well, now they're just taking away that out. Yeah. All, all their habitat. Now all of a sudden they're in decline, and they and they're saying it's just a giant vicious circle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's why some people are opposing actually removing, uh, removing them. But I mean, you know what? That's like, maybe they build up a big enough herd and then reintroduce them. Like they did, they with, did the with the wolves, wolves. Exactly. in Yellowstone, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, that, that was, from what I understand, was a success. It, it has been a, it's yeah. been a, a very huge success. Yeah. Like they're, right now they're, they're, uh, they're monitoring the, the, uh, the wolf pack size. It's split off into several different packs, yeah. but uh, it's a healthy, thriving community. And what a lot of people don't appreciate is like, oh, why would you bring the wolves back? But it, what it does is it it's that top-down predator thing, and it actually helps. Oh, it helps the ecosystem. It helps like the ecosystem. Big time. So you, the, the wolves are in there culling herds of like uh, whatever deer, they- Deer, moose, deer, whatever's, whatever's there, yeah. They, they, and so what they're finding is that he, with the wolf introduction, and there's been some results of this reintroduction, is uh, they're finding that the uh, the areas of land along rivers are, they're, they're less prone to washout. So the, so for example, there's less deer that are eating the riparian areas along the, the river sides. And so some of the growth is remaining and so it doesn't get washed out as easily. So there's all kinds of different 
aspects where th- now with uh, with the wolf inter- reintroduction like uh, some rabbit populations are rebounding in some areas because coyotes are being chased off into other right. areas so it's just a rebalancing and what they found when the wolves were gone from yellowstone the whole area was was lesser there was there was a reduction in some species there was uh, more washouts along riversides and it was it, it's stuff that you wouldn't think it's like why would this protect a river yeah but it, there there's species that are being uh kind of sharing the area and they're all becoming part of the ecosystem together right so it uh, they found that the wolf packs actually helped yellowstone recover ecologically yeah, and I know there's been a there's there's always going to be opposition towards them, especially because yeah. there's they cattle and stuff. They and eat my sheep. cows. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think there was somebody shot one. I think a couple of years back. And yes, there was a yeah. big uproar yeah. about it. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. So that's the big thing right now is saying you know what like it's really destructive by taking these the, the last caribou out, but hopefully it can turn into a you know, a uh, reintroduction exactly. 50 years down the road, yeah, exactly. whatever, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. So when you're talking about taking them into Canada, into BC and whatnot, said, while this is the last wild caribou in the U.S., the Canadian herds are also being devastated by habitat loss. Exactly. You know, everybody's like, well, I take them up there, you know. Yeah, but they're, they're we're facing our own problems up here. Exactly. 70% of caribou herds in Canada are in decline. Some herds losing as many as 60% of their numbers inside a decade. That's huge. That's massive. So, well, I'll have to keep an eye and see what happens with these. But yeah, I mean, you, you got to, this, this Selkirk herd has been around forever. Yes. You know, I mean, it was massive. We, we went down sort of on the same lines. Uh, when I lived out in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, we went uh, down through North and South Dakota for summer vacation one year. And we were going through Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And they talk about, um, you know, the bison that would be going along the, oh, the yeah. plains. And yeah. be, it'd be just like writhing mass like of... moving carpet. Yeah. And we were going through one area and they, they, they were building up the, protecting them and bringing, trying to bring them back. And we saw this one hillside and there was a ton of them up there. And you're thinking, if that is nothing compared, compared to, what, to it what it was, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> we destroyed them. We did. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed well, you hear, and it, you see, I, I've seen some old black and whites and I've seen red stories about it. And they, like, they would go out and, uh, on mass, they would just go out and be firing into these herds of buffalo and all they would take is the hide yeah, and yeah. leave the body to rot. Yeah. And it was like, w- what a waste, yeah. right? What a waste. So all they're doing is they're, they're butchering all these buffalo back in the day and all they're taking is the hide and that is it. Yeah. Now we were out at, um... Oh, and I always mix this name up. Head smashed in Buffalo Jump. Oh, yes, yes. Last year when we drove across Canada and back, we checked that out. And they had their system, the natives had their system where they would... um, Channel the herd. They would channel the herd towards the cliffs and they would jump off. Well, not on purpose. They had nowhere to go. And they would all smash their heads at the bottom and die. And they would haul the... But there was a massive uh, native village below... And they took everything. 
They processed everything amongst the, the yeah. tribes. And so nothing was wasted. Everything was taken. But yeah, you didn't just leave it there to, to rot. To rot. Yeah. It's like, but yeah, when seeing that, I'm thinking, I'm just looking at these, these, this herd that was there and I'm thinking, if that's nothing compared to what it was, yeah, I, I, wow, I would have loved to seen. Was it they used to say back in the day, like, was it passenger pigeons? Yeah. Like the, 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 the flocks of passenger pigeons used to be so thick and so huge we that block it would out block the out sun. the sun. Yeah. Amazing. And now they're all gone. Yep. <laughs> People are bad. Yep. Um, well, let's get on to some happier stuff here. <laughs> Hopefully the, the, uh, the, the caribou can rebound and yes. they can start building that Selkirk herd back up to former glory. Kevin Callan, the happy camper, has got a new book out. Yes. Sorry, last... sorry Kevin, we're, we're going from a side, but hey, you're picking us all up. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, the caribou are all disappearing, but there's Kevin Callan on the horizon to <laughs> cheer us up. Yeah. Uh, his last book was the uh, winter camping book. Yes. His new one is called Once Around Algonquin, An Epic Canoe Journey. Now, for those that have followed our show and whatnot... Um, they know what the meanest link is. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So the meanest link, there's there's a route around Algonquin Park here in Ontario. And you start in Huntsville and you go up into the park, up the Big East River, into, the, into Algonquin. And then there's a big circle route through Algonquin. Then you come back out and you end up back in Huntsville. Yes. Big route. Some people do it as fast as possible. Other people take a few weeks to do it. Some people... Uh, well, you know, they'll do half of it one Two summer. Segments. So it's there's three or four segments. There's yeah. four segments. Yeah. You can easily break it up into. So if you wanted to do it in four different trips and make it easier on yourself and just enjoy it, or or you can do it all in one go. And yeah, I think the record is eight or nine days. Yeah, something like that. We should have looked that up before we recorded. Yeah, this. I've, I've <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've heard so much about the Minas Link. So. Um, Kevin and his buddy Andy Baxter, they decided, I guess, they're going to do the meanest link. So here's what they have to say. Kevin Callan's Once Around Algonquin is an exciting tale of misadventure on the toughest route in Ontario's most well-loved wilderness. While sharing his love of this paddling paradise, Callan details some of the park's history and evolution, interweaving stories from the voyage. Chuckle along with the tales behind the blisters and bruises in this bromance adventure tale. <laughs> oh, yeah, have you ever seen him and Andy in this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all told with Callan's trademark humor. With a storytelling vibe, 30 chapters share insights and describe some of the challenges of canoe tripping for both the uninitiated as well as for the seasoned canoeist. Now, I should say this book is now available on Amazon and uh, online at Barnes and Nobles. Uh, it should be coming into regular stores eventually. I'm going to get mine from Kevin. Down at the Quiet Water Symposium, yes, you should have. Yes, absolutely. Get him, maybe get him to sign it. Maybe I'll get my name right this time. Fred. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so this book's about him and Andy, his paddle buddy Andy, doing the meanest link in Algonquin Park. Yeah. Now, it's a route that covers like a large part of Algonquin and there's rules to doing it. There's certain things that you have to do. Like one of the rules, you can't do it solo. Uh, there's a certain beer you have to drink on a certain island and commemorate 
um, meanest, who's uh, Bill Swift Sr.? Yes, it was? Bill yeah. Swift Sr. Yeah. yeah, so you got to commit because it was his favorite spot. It was his favorite beer. So you got to do, you got to stop at a certain uh, camp that's there and all these little Pathfinder. things you got to do, right? Yeah. And uh, so they, they did it. And so while you're waiting for Kevin's book to arrive in your mailbox after you buy it, you're going to be wondering, well, what is all of this? Check out our episode 29. Because episode 29, I was down in New York State uh, with a bunch of guys that we talked to, and they actually did the Venus link, and we chatted with them. So once Kevin's book arrives, after you've listened to our episode 29, (laughs) you're going to get an idea of what this route actually entails. Yeah. And And you're going to read his book, and you're going to, I think by the time you're done reading his book, you're going to be thinking, I got to do this. I got to try this. <laughs> you look at the map route and it's like, it's staggeringly huge loop. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I want to say 380 kilometers. Uh, There's like I... 62 portages, yeah. 8 billion kilometers worth of portages, <laughs> yeah. 600 million billion trillion bugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, as a side note, is somebody we know doing it this year, this coming summer? Uh, I think I've heard of a, a small group of guys that are heading off to do this in uh, in early June. Anybody we know uh, attending with them? Yeah, I, I think I know uh, specifically one person. Yeah, who? <laughs> <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> so... Yeah, Once Around Algonquin, an Epic Canoe Journey by Kevin Callan. Go online, order it now. Uh, I think when we're down at the Canoe Symposium. Absolutely. I think we're going to have to talk with Kevin. We're going to corner him. Yeah. We might even get him on video. We'll sit him down in our booth (laughs) and we'll we'll do a a record session with him. We'll throw the video up there as well and make him talk about his book. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. And I'm going to dictate my name to him. Spell it this way. F-R-E-D. Derek. I can't remember what he called you last time. Dave or something. Dave? He never gets my name right. Dave. Dave. Hey, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> this is Paddling Avengers Radio. I'm Sean. This is Dave. <laughs> He's got so many people to oh, remember, I know. I, too. I, know. Right? <laughs> I say it jokingly, but... I'm like... The only reason he recognizes me is the beard. Exactly, yeah. If I yeah. didn't have... If I shaved his beard off, he'd look at me like... Who are you? Are you a cousin <laughs> or something? Or I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. So... So, uh, yeah, go check out that book. You can get it at Amazon or you can get it on uh, Barnes & Noble on their online page. I think it's only about 20 bucks, too. So... 420 420 bucks? 420 kilometers. Yeah. So 102, 128, 129. That's 260, 360, 360 plus 60 is uh, 420. 420 kilometers. Yeah, approximately, yeah. Wow. Go buy his book. Buy it. Tell him how great he is. Yes. Yes. I think if it's anything like his other stuff, yeah, he'll be funny. Oh, yes. Absolutely. It'll be good, too. And it'll be interesting and it'll be knowledgeable, that's for sure. Yeah. The last thing I've got on my list today is, um, now, what was that book I read? Great Heart. Yes. Derek's Book Club. 
Ah, that was my first book for book club. <laughs> the first book Derek did not read for book club was entitled Great Heart. And I was so excited about it. So that was at... I'm uh, not telling you what happened. That was at the Film Fest. It yeah. was Martin Garster. Yep. A movie, we put up a movie. Martin Garster talked to me immediately. He says, hey, you, you know, th- this it. is talking... You got to read that book. What book? Well, it's about this trip. That's what uh, that, that's what the guys made the video about. It's like, oh, I'll check it out. So like the next day, I... I bought went it. out and I bought the book and... Gave it to me to read. It <laughs> <laughs> sat in your desk for six months. He said, hey, you got to read this book. And I said, why is it good? I have no idea. Read it and tell me. <laughs> the spine wasn't even cracked. <laughs> so Great Heart is about Leonidas Hubbard. Is it? It was originally, the first half. Uh, so he decided he was going to do this trip in Labrador. He's going to map it out, do the, you know, he, he's going to find uh, the certain, the Nescapi people and stuff like that. And he died. Yes. Oops. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Uh, things did not go as planned. Maps that were read wrong. Blah, blah. They whole. Got, yeah. They got lost. They get turned yeah. around. One of the guys came back. Uh, Dylan Wallace made it back. And his wife, Leonidas Hubbard's wife, Mina, always blamed this Dylan Wallace guy. He yes. Says, You're the reason you didn't, you didn't save him, blah, blah, blah. Whole lot of drama. Two years after Leonidas dies, Dylan and Mina are both heading up to Labrador on separate expeditions. Separate competing expeditions. Compe- it turned into a competition between the two of them. Uh, they, they hated each other at this point and decide they're going to see who can finish the get to the, the end first uh, Mina end up winning. Oops, did I just blow that? <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yeah. Okay, stop listening 10 seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10 seconds ago, don't listen. Um, so this is the whole thing about Labrador and whatnot. It, it's really cool. It's not something that you really hear about much, you know, people paddling exactly. through Labrador yeah. and stuff like that. And If they are, you know it's going to be a hard time. It's going to be really, really tough. It's not going to be... Yeah. You think, oh, yeah, you can follow this, you can do this, you can go here, you can go there. But, yeah, it's not going to be as easy as you think. Oh, absolutely. And we've talked about trips up there before, like uh, in northern Quebec, Pingala Crater with uh, Lynette and Lester yeah. doing their – they have to do a lot of these northern trips. And uh, so we, we've talked about a few different people who've done trips in that area, and, and uh, we still have to get some of them on for an interview. But uh, this here is – so one of the guys that follow us, or groups that follow us and we follow, Northern Scavengers. Yes. Northern Scavengers did the meanest link this past summer, last summer. Summer 2018, they did the meanest link. Uh, Noah Booth and Alex Trainer, And they raised funds for Project Canoe. Project Canoe, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I don't get this wrong. They uh, raised funds to send... Um, kids to camps that can't afford to go to camps get them out into the great outdoors give them that exposure that sort of thing so they 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 raised money for project canoe doing the meanest link well today or today no day was two days ago what was tuesday two days ago two days ago yeah Yeah. two days ago they announced that they are getting um a new uh we got you got project canoe there this is project canoe what does project canoe do 
What what does Project Canoe do? We provide youth with the opportunity to experience a canoe trip in northern Ontario in the summer and recreational programs in Toronto throughout the year. We focus on youth that would otherwise be unable to participate due to barriers that they face in their lives. These barriers may be social, emotional, behavioral, learning, or economic barriers. Project Canoe was founded by Dr. Herb... Whose phone is that? Wow. <laughs> My phone's way over. I didn't say Siri. <laughs> okay. My phone is possessed. Sorry about that. <laughs> Project Canoe was founded by Dr. Herb Bat in 1977 and served over 4,000 youths over the year. Youths. Youths. Yeah, so I, yeah, so I, was, I, was, I was right. Um, yeah, a good Project Canoe. Go on, go on to their website. What's their website there? It is uh, it's projectcanoe.org. It's canoe.org. Canoe.org. Yeah, yeah. Check check them out, and uh, they they take donations and stuff like that. Get get kids out there. Help. Get it's kids a good out cause. There. It is a good cause. Uh, so they raised funny some some funds for Project Canoe this by doing them in this link. Well, Tuesday, uh, they announced a new trip, and this is where we tied into our into the great heart you didn't read. <laughs> I didn't have to read it. You gave me the Coles notes. <laughs> I gave you the Coles notes, the Sean's notes. <laughs> so this summer, 2019, Noah Booth and Alex Trainer, who are northern, known as Northern Scavengers, their buddy Dave uh, Greener Dave and Chris Giard uh, will be heading to Labrador where they will paddle, portage, and track their canoes 840 kilometers from Labrador City, Labrador's westernmost community, to the coastal village of Nain, Labrador's northernmost permanent settlement. That's huge. That's a that's a wee bit of a trip. If you go to Northern Scavengers on um, Facebook, they got a map that shows yes where they're going. It's dramatic. It's like it's a this is a big trip. It's a big trip. The route is designed to traverse Labrador in its entirety, where they will travel through three major ecosystems cross two heights of land and be the first modern day team to connect Labrador City to Nain in one trip. They have titled the expedition Boreal to Barren Lands, Traversing Labrador, aka B2B. B2B. So that's what they're doing. There are many reasons they're, they, they, they wrote this on their, their site here. There are many reasons why we're heading to Labrador through the, though the key objective is to gain a cultural and environmental perspective of one of Canada's last remaining wilderness frontiers. Along the way, we will pay homage to the historic travelers such as the Nescapi and Montanay Innu people who have used these lands for generations, as well as the European explorers such as A.P. Lowe, William Cabot, and most recently Herb Pohl, who have mapped these lands through unprecedented exploration. And while they're doing this massive trip, <laughs> yeah. They will be filming the entire thing, creating a documentary-style video series. That's awesome. Which I'm sure people will be chomping at the bit today. Yeah. So I was ch uh, chatting today. I keep saying today. Oh, my God. I think I did this last episode, too. Uh, a couple <laughs> days back, I was chatting with them. And uh, I said, hey, why don't we get together? We'll do a pre-trip show. You know, so you guys, oh yeah, it's gonna be great, it's gonna be fantastic. Oh, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna we're gonna have fun, yeah. There's gonna be no <laughs> bugs. And then we'll do a post exactly. trip show. Which would be oh my god, I thought we were gonna die. There were snakes in the trees. 
<laughs> so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see if we can get together and uh, schedule something to have them on the show before they go away, and then uh, when they come back, and that'll be a good show to hear all their adventures when they come back. So keep an eye out for that. Northern Scavengers, they're on Facebook and uh, they got a website and all that. But if you do the at Northern Scavengers thing on Facebook, you'll find them no problems and check out their their map. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got this week. I think that's about it, dude. I think we've hit the limit here. We've hit the limit. We're done. I need a nap. Yeah, I think I'm going to have a nap. <laughs> I got to clean up my, my tent here. <laughs> Uh, so that being that, uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us, where are we? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all those good places. You can find our, this episode, number 156, along with 155 others on iTunes, Spotify, Player FM, Google Play. And which one am I missing here? Oh, PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com's episode page. <laughs> Check them all out. You won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Spest. We'll see you next time. <laughs>